we got that uh, video from uh, the people over at Freedom Church who helped organize uh, all the work between churches and nonprofits in Lebanon uh, here a month ago uh, in July. Uh, there was Serve Day, and I'm just so thankful for uh, your participation, your willingness to invest in the vulnerable in our community. Uh, we collected backpacks and supplies in our lobbies, and several of you donated to that. Uh, we, we had several of you sign up to serve in a number of ways. You maybe even saw some familiar faces there. I know even more recently updated numbers, there are close to 700 backpacks that were distributed uh, because of the support of our community uh, to kids in need who are using those backpacks now as we speak in our local schools. I want to celebrate your service and your donations, but also take the chance to highlight kind of how we also make investments in things like this. Uh, every week when, when you give to Lebanon Christian Church, uh, 20% of every gift, 20 cents of every dollar gets reinvested outside of our walls in our community, uh, our international partners, our local partners to make a difference. And because of your faithful support, uh, we were able, our global impact team that kind of helps manage how those funds are used, were able to write a check for $3,000 to Freedom Church to be used specifically for the back to school bash. So in addition to what you gave with physical things, in addition to how you served, uh, you were able to be a huge part of helping kids and adults all across our community. And so I just want to thank you. That's what God calls us to. And I just want to celebrate that alongside of you. And I hope the video in some way kind of gives you a picture of how your life uh, and our lives collectively are making an impact. How many of you like lemons? Anybody? How many of you just eat them plain, like you just bite into them, okay? Um, I, I can't do it. I've seen people do it. I'm impressed by it when you can just stick that lemon in your mouth and you don't make the pucker face. Like I can do it, uh, but, but I, I make the pucker face and it's pretty miserable. I even get sores in my mouth sometimes, but uh, le lemons are kind of known for their distinct uh, sour taste. But beginning about 100 years ago, uh, the lemon began to refer to something else besides the fruit. Uh, we can look back in uh, consumer reports and articles from 100 years ago, maybe a little bit more now, and see that the lemon began to refer to products uh, that were unreliable, uh, that, that were undependable, that, that broke down more than they should have. It actually first started with the auto industry. It became a term that people would refer to vehicles that would not function as they were supposed to function. They were lemons. In fact, some states have lemon laws now, not just for automobiles, but for appliances and other pieces of technology that if it fails a certain number of times, the manufacturer is required to replace it. Uh, I think, and no one really knows why, uh, but they think that lemon began to refer to those products that were unreliable, those products that would break down, those products that couldn't be counted on, uh, because that experience would leave a really bad taste in the consumer's mouth. Um, I know people, I'm one of them, who has completely switched brand loyalty when it comes to cars because of we had several problems with the same auto manufacturer over the course of years early on in our marriage. I'm like, I am never buying another one of those vehicles because it only breaks down. It only has transmission problems. And the next one we got did the exact same thing. And, and so I started researching more the most reliable uh, car brands. You know how frustrating it is when you have a lemon? Uh, you've probably been there. You go out to start the vehicle and it just won't start. Like I just had this in the shop last week. 
it broke down again, or maybe it's a piece of technology and you just want it to work right and it doesn't always seem like the, the products you need the most fail when you need them the most. Like there's laundry to do, kids are going back to school and now the washer broke, are you kidding me? Um, I, I need to send the email, I need to get the report done and the computer won't come on? What's happening here? Like, like lemons are so frustrating. I had a computer a few years ago that I purchased, and it's a brand that I had had incredible reliability with. Um, I still use them because I only have this one issue. If I have more, it might change things. But I purchased a brand new computer. Within a year, uh, the motherboard, the logic board, the brains of the computer failed three times. The third time, I'm working on a message, I'm preparing for Sunday morning, and I hear a pop, and smoke comes out of the side of my computer. I'm like, this is probably not a good thing. And so immediately, I took it to the store where I purchased it. I was in that part of town, and I said, hey, listen, this broke again. And so they got on the phone with the manufacturer, and they said, hey, uh, you, you fit our lemon policy. That should never happen with this product. And so they ordered me a new computer, and it arrived within a few days but it was so frustrating. Just the moment I needed it, it wasn't there. I use that picture because I think that sometimes when it comes to friendships and relationships, um, we ourselves have been this way and maybe other people have been this way. When we needed them most, when we were going through our difficult season, when we needed someone to weep with us, when we needed someone to be there for us and just to sit with us, the ones we thought would be reliable just, just didn't show up. And I'm guessing you've had the experience of some friends that maybe turned out to be some lemons. And I'm guessing if you're honest that, that maybe you yourself at some point have failed to show up for someone in their season. In our series on friendship, last week, this week, and next week, my hope is that we can just journey through uh, the story of David and Jonathan, borrow some wisdom from their lives and from the Proverbs, kind of living underneath this umbrella, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 tells us, the man with unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That there is a way to have a friendship, to have a bond that is closer than even a bond within a family. And many of us have tasted those types of friendships. And in fact, the older you get, it seems, in life, you may feel like you're even closer to friends than you are to family. So it doesn't seem probably a stretch to you to say there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but I want you to see, like, even if you amp that idea up, you take that verse and it's written by someone who lives in a world where familial bonds were so much stronger, the ancient Near East... And, and, and the, the wise teacher of Proverbs, likely Solomon, is saying, listen, there, there's a way to have a friend that is way closer than even the closest family member. A reliable friend. A friend you can depend upon. And so we're trying to explore, how do we look at David and Jonathan's life and see how can we be these types of friends, these re reliable friends? And I shared with you last week kind of this disclaimer that also rests over this series is that you can't make someone else be that reliable friend. I can't make someone be reliable. Can I have honest, vulnerable conversations and express my own disappointments or my own doubts, my own discouragements in a friendship? Yeah. Can I lean into conflict? Can I have the hard conversation with someone? Yes. But I can't make someone else be reliable. But what I can do is through the power of the Spirit, I can resolve to be that reliable friend to someone else.
And if I'm reliable and you resolve to be reliable, guess what happens in our friendships? We end up with people who are reliable. And so how can we be these reliable friends who, who stick closer than brothers? And, and David and Jonathan's friendship just gives us a beautiful picture of the type of relationship that we can pursue. Last week, we looked at their, the relationship, and we saw that they had encouragement. Encouragement is an essential element for a close friendship. We looked at a passage in 1 Samuel 23 where Jonathan actually seeks out David when he's on the run, and he's hiding from Jonathan's own father, Saul, And it says that he went to strengthen him in the Lord. He went to specifically encourage him, to lift him up, because he knew that he was probably growing weary. And so he encouraged him. And this this week, we'll look back to the relationship of David and Jonathan again and find another component. Their friendship begins in 1 Samuel 18. It's kind of our, our diving board to jump into the waters of friendship throughout this series it tells us how they begin. And we're not going to read verses one through four like we did last week. I just kind of summarized them for you. It tells us that uh, David and Jonathan became one in spirit. That was a powerful phrase we looked at last week about being this just deeply and intimately attached to one another, kind of souls strung together, this deep bond between them. But then something neat happens in verse three. We, we see something else. It says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan made a covenant. That's an interesting word, right? Covenant. Uh, Covenant is a word used in scripture to speak to an agreement, a commitment between two parties. But, But covenant's more than just an agreement. It's more than just a commitment. Covenant speaks of a commitment to be responsible to and for and to act on behalf of the promises that you have made, the commitments that you've made. So it's this significant term, covenant, that that, that speaks to someone who says, I will be responsible for these actions in a relationship. I will be responsible for these actions. And together, this will form this agreement, this close agreement and commitment. Who we see covenant used of most in Scripture is it's spoken of of God that God makes a covenant with his people on a number of occasions. In fact, there are several covenants mentioned in scripture, uh, just a few. There's a a covenant with Adam. Uh, It happens after the fall. Uh, There's a covenant with Abraham. I will bless you and make you a blessing to the nations. And then here's what I would like from you. Here's what I require from you. This is what Abraham does. Here's what God's gonna do. We We have a covenant with the Israelites, Uh, We call it often the Mosaic Covenant, this this, this promise God makes to his people where he declares, this is the type of God I am and I'm going to be, and here's what I want from you as my people. We have a covenant with David where he makes a promise to King David and he says, hey, there's gonna be someone from your line, from your offspring to rule on the throne of my people forever, which ultimately leads us to Jesus. Uh, There's a covenant that comes through Jesus. We, We just celebrated in the Lord's Supper the new covenant. God makes a promise. My son comes and lives and dies for you and sheds his blood for you and your sin. He takes upon himself the penalty of your sin that if you believe, there's our part, uh, you're washed clean, you're made new. There's a new covenant. So the covenant is this idea of God with people. It's this powerful language that this is what God's responsible for. This is how he resolves to act. This is how we're supposed to act. It's this powerful relational agreement and commitment. But there are places like here with David and Jonathan where that word is used to describe human relationships, where we make a commitment 
an agreement, we resolve, we're responsible for. And what's interesting is there's a term that's used to describe God's covenant loyalty and God's covenant love that's also used to describe human covenant loyalty and human covenant love in the Old Testament. And that word is the Hebrew word, hesed. Um, if you speak Hebrew, you say it with a kind of a K sound at the front, but we don't speak like it. It would be chesed, um, which makes it sound like you're trying to like pluck up something post-COVID, right? Um, but the idea is that hesed refers to this covenant loyalty, this covenant love of God, but, but, but translators have struggled with this term has said that shows up in speaking of God's love and commitment and covenants and humans' commitments and covenants because there's not really an English word that translates it well because the idea of has said in Hebrew speaks to fidelity, it speaks to faithfulness, it speaks to loving and kind actions and keeping with that covenant. Like there's so many things represented and wrapped up in that word has said. And so in around 1560, Miles Cloverdale was helping translate the scriptures into English and he's like, here's the best shot. Let's call it loving kindness. And that's kind of been preserved in our Bible translations is that we typically translate hesed as loving kindness. God's the model covenant keeper. God's the model of what hesed is. Uh, in fact, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse six. Again, he's declaring what he's going to do for Israel. It's kind of at the heart of the covenant with Moses. It says this, uh, the Lord passes in front of Moses and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is declaring, this is who I am. I keep my promises. I remain loyal. I remain faithful. I remain true. That's what Jonah got upset with God about. Remember, Jonah didn't want to go as a prophet to uh, Nineveh, and so he sets sail to go as far as he can from where God wants him to be, and inevitably, he gets cast out of the boat, he gets swallowed by a giant fish, he gets thrown up on the land, he reluctantly goes to Nineveh, the people repent, and, and, and Jonah has this conversation with God where he says, God, see, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in said faithful, loyal, covenant love, like, like a commitment to say, I will be faithful to you. I will be loyal to you. I will show you loving kindness. It's, it's the refrain that comes in that famous Psalm, Psalm 136. His has said, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. It's a declaration of God's character of who he is. He is loyal. He is faithful. He keeps his prominence. That's his, his promises. That's his, his covenant love. And, and that's the love that we see between David and Jonathan. They enter into a covenant. And that covenant will require faithful, loyal, loving kindness, actions in keeping with that to preserve the friendship. And so the second essential element I want you to see today in friendships, if we're gonna be reliable friends, is not just that we encourage, but that we are loyal, that we are faithful, that we model the hesed, the covenant love of God in our commitments and friendships with one another. Jonathan made a covenant with David. So what does this covenant love look like? If you turn over to 1 Samuel 19, we're gonna hang out primarily in 1 Samuel 19 and 20. So, so David and Jonathan have made this commitment, this covenant with one another. I shared with you last week that shortly thereafter, Saul just is so intimidated by David that he just resolves that he's going to end his life. He's gonna take away the one who, the life of the one who will inherit the throne following his death. And, 
It doesn't take long for us to see him scheming. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? So we see Jonathan exercise that loyalty, that faithfulness to this covenant, to this commitment, to this agreement that he made with David. He, he was loyal. And I think the lesson we can pull early on in chapter 19 is this, is that loyal friends protect. A loyal friend protects. A loyal friend is willing to do the hard thing to protect or to warn a friend when they're in need. Jonathan risks. He risks his relationship with his father. He, he, he risks harm that could come to him. He risks his reputation to go and to protect and to warn David because he cares for him, because he's made a covenant with him. Loyal friends protect one another. A loyal friend willingly takes the risk of speaking up when they see their friend moving towards a dangerous and difficult situation. Some of you have risked that. Some of you have had conversations with a friend and they tell you who they want to date or who they're going to marry or where they're going to spend their weekend and, and warning lights and warning bells go off because of, of what you know about that person, what you know about what happens there, what you know about who they're gonna hang out with. And, and, and so a loyal friend will in love speak up and offer a warning because loyal friends protect. A loyal friend sometimes will hear about maybe how a friend or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend is maybe being unfaithful and they'll risk and have the hard conversation and share, hey, I just want to warn you. Here's what I'm hearing around the office. Here's, here's what I'm hearing out in the community because they want to protect, they want to warn. A loyal friend sometimes will step in and come to the defense of another because a loyal friend protects. Are you a protecting friend? Are you a friend who will warn when you know that danger is coming? Maybe because of your own life experience. Maybe because you have been there. Uh, you've seen what happens when someone goes down this path. Will you, are you the type of friend who will protect? Are you the type of friend who will warn? That's what loyal friends do. Loyal friends protect. But there's more here. Uh, here's something else that loyal friends do. Look at verse 4. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. I love that phrase, Jonathan spoke well of David. Loyal friends, friends that have made a covenant, friends that have made a commitment. Loyal friends are loyal with their words. I can remember being a young youth minister and we had a, a woman in our youth group, a, a young lady in our youth group, and 
And she was going through some difficulties, and so her mother and father would come to talk to us from time to time about how to get her help. And whenever the father would come to talk to me, inevitably, all he did was talk uh, rudely and negatively and despairingly, uh, disparagingly, whatever, badly, uh, about his, his wife. And I thought, man, like, like we're, we're talking about your daughter, and you want to spend the whole conversation telling me all the horrible wrong things uh, you think about your wife. And I thought, that's not very loyal. That's not a loyal love. And yet, how many of us know that there are times when maybe when a friend is absent, they become the subject of a dinner conversation? And maybe we like to speak about how we would do so many things so much better if we were them, if we were living their life, if we were working in their job, if we were parenting their kids. And maybe we speak about them poorly with other people, but loyal friends speak well of one another. Listen, Jonathan had so much to gain by being manipulative and speaking poorly of David. Like Jonathan is the firstborn son of Saul. Jonathan is the one who's most likely to <clears throat> inherit the throne if, if David's life doesn't persist. And yet what does Jonathan do? He says, no, I'm not gonna use this for my gain. I'm not gonna make myself the hero. I'm not gonna make myself the victim. I'm not gonna play David this way when David's not around, you know, suck up to my father Saul. No, I am going to speak well of David with my father. And that's what loyal friends do. Loyal friends protect and loyal friends are loyal with their words. Are you loyal with your words? Here's what I understand happens sometimes, uh, only because maybe I've been there, and I think you've been there, is that it's really easy sometimes to just talk about other people, even people we're friends with, when they're not around. And maybe sometimes you think, I can't even enjoy a meal at the Mexican restaurant over chips and salsa if I'm not talking poorly about somebody else. Like, what do I even talk about? But we need to understand that loyal friends are loyal with our words. And so would we resolve to be friends who are loyal with our words? Maybe you don't agree with what someone's done. Maybe you think they've made a bad mistake. Well, go talk to them about that, not talk about them with other people. That's what loyal friends would do. There's one final thing I see in loyal friends in David and Jonathan's relationship. It's in chapter 20. I'm sure there are more, but these are just three observations that I've made from their life and their relationship. So in chapter 19, Saul has promised Jonathan, I will not take David's life. And if you read down a few verses, you find that that lasted not very long because shortly thereafter, an evil spirit comes over Saul and Saul actually throws a spear at David to try to pin him to the wall. Like he is, he is really careless with David's life. We fast forward to chapter 20 and now it's become evident uh, to David that Saul wants to kill him. So David is on the run. And while he's on the run, he, he's, he's tired of Saul pursuing him. So he comes to Jonathan and says, hey, your dad is out to get me. And Jonathan must still have this promise his daddy made prior to the spear incident on his mind. He's like, no, if, if my dad was trying to kill you, I would know about it. Like, like he doesn't do anything that I don't know about. And David's like, uh, Jonathan, he, I think he's hiding this from you because he's definitely trying to kill me. I'm not on the run for no reason at all. Like, like he is after me. And so David and Jonathan craft a plan to reveal Saul's heart, to reveal his violent intentions. And that plan requires Jonathan to leverage his position to reveal his father's heart. And when David makes the ask for Jonathan to leverage his position, he appeals to the covenant. Look at verse 8 in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 
I'll rewind to verse seven for a moment. It won't be on the screen. It says, if he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. So he's, he's, he's recounting the plan about how he'll know if Saul's after his life. And he says this to Jonathan, verse eight. As for you, David speaking to Jonathan, as for you, Jonathan, show kindness to your servant, show kindness to me, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? David appeals to the covenant. He says, will you show that covenant loyalty? That word there in verse eight, it is hesed. Will you, will you show me that covenant loyalty, that covenant faithfulness by leveraging your position, by leveraging your resources for me? And I think that gives us an opportune time to, to share this kind of third type of loyalty, not just loyal by protecting, not just loyal with our words, but a loyal friend leverages their resources for their friends. Whether that's position, privileges, possessions, here David appeals to Jonathan to leverage his position. You are the king's son. Go to him. Speak these things to him. Find out what his true intent is, what his heart is. And so as a loyal friend, Jonathan commits to leveraging his resources. Look at Jonathan's response in verses 12 and 13. Jonathan says to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So David makes an appeal. Would you go to your dad? I know it's hard, Jonathan. Would you go to him? Would you utilize your position as his son, uh, as someone he trusts? And would you seek out his heart? Would you leverage your resources for me? And Jonathan says, yes, I made a commitment to you. I made a covenant with you. And Jonathan demonstrates his loyalty, his faithful love to David. And he asks David to do the same. Look at verses 14 and 15. But show me unfailing kindness. Guess what word that is again? Hesed. But show me unfailing kindness like whose? Like the Lord's has said, show me has said, show me kindness like God's kindness as long as I live. Again, that's the covenant you made with me so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness, your has said from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So David appeals, hey, we've made this commitment. We've made this covenant. We've made this agreement with each other. We're responsible to one another. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna call in the favor, Jonathan. Will you leverage your resources to remain loyal and faithful to me in this situation? Jonathan says, yes, I will. But David, I need you to promise to remain loyal and faithful to me even after I'm gone. And guess what happens in verses 16 and 17? They reaffirm that covenant. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. So we see this loyal covenant love. And the loyal covenant love here leverages its resources for the other. A loyal friend will leverage their resources. If you're a loyal friend, yes, you will protect. If you're a loyal friend, yes, you will speak well of the other. If you're a loyal friend, you will also leverage what you have. And that may be your position. 
Uh, a few years ago, we, our family took a trip to Washington, D.C. to kind of take in our nation's history when the boys were studying that in school. And uh, we met up with some friends there. We did some really cool stuff. We got to take a tour of part of the White House, and uh, we, we got to go to the Capitol building. It was an incredible experience. Just a few weeks later, uh, other people we know, I would call them more acquaintances, uh, but they're connected to a family in our church, went to Washington, D.C. And I heard them talk about their trip. They got to go to parts of the White House I didn't get to go to. They got to go into office buildings that I didn't get to go into. Why? Because they had a friend who had gone to high school or college with then Vice President Pence. And that friend leveraged their relationship, their position to get them access. That's what, that's what friends do, right? They leverage their position. They leverage their privileges. I've had the opportunity to golf with some of my friends at Ulan. I'm not a member there, but they leverage what they have because I'm their friend. You have friends that have leveraged their position, their privileges, and some of them their possessions for you. A loyal friend will, will, will open up their home to you. They'll open up their cupboards and their refrigerators. They'll, 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 they'll change the sheets on a bed for you to stay with them. A loyal friend will loan you their car, their truck. A loyal friend will, will loan you tools. Like a loyal friend says, these are my resources and I will leverage them for you. That's what loyal friends do. If we're gonna be reliable friends, if we're gonna be friends that model the heart of God towards one another, well, we won't just be encouragers, but we'll be loyal. And three ways we can be loyal are by protecting, being loyal with our words, and being loyal with our resources. Is there someone in your life, is there a friend in your life right now that's in need that you could leverage some of your resources for? Is, is, is there a way you can open up your home to them or to their children? Is there a way you could loan them a vehicle, a mower? Or maybe it's not something, maybe it's just your presence. Maybe, like we have young families in the room who are seeing kids off to school for the very first time and they're kind of heartbroken. Their, their preschooler who used to be at home running around making messes all day is, is now somewhere else. And so maybe you just leverage your presence with them to listen. And we have families in the room whose kids are going off to college or are off to a job or they're moving away. Maybe you just leverage your time to be with them. That's what loyal friends do is they leverage their resources for one another. Will you and I be that type of loyal friend? And when I wanna, I wanna be the type of friend that people can count on. I want them to know that when they call me that I will do what I can to help them. I, I don't wanna leave them hanging. I don't wanna fail them at their time of need. Do, do you wanna be that type of friend? If you're a disciple of Jesus, understand that our goal is to be like him. Our goal is to live like him. I've shared with you before that to me, one of the most impactful verses in my journey has been 1 John 2, 6. If anyone claims to live in him, he must walk. He must live as Jesus did. My hope is to live like him. And I get it so wrong so many times and he forgives me and he helps me. But as a disciple, I wanna be like him. As a disciple, you should wanna be like him. And guess what? Jesus models this. 
God's covenant faithful love is what he gives us an example of. I don't think it's a mistake that in 1 Samuel 20, as we see David and Jonathan's relationship tested, that the word that we're told they exhibited with one another is hesed. Again, verse 8, show kindness. Verse 14 is probably the most profound, but show me unfailing kindness. Show me covenant loyalty. Show me faithful love like the Lord's faithful love. He's our model. He's our example. Here's something even more incredible I found out this week. I share with you the words of, of Exodus 34, 6 at the beginning of this message. How as God passes before Abraham, he tells him that he is loving and faithful. When they translated the Old Testament into Greek, uh, the words that they chose to represent hased, the love of God, uh, most accurately was charis, God's mercy, his loving kindness, his favor towards people. The word they used to translate his faithfulness in 34.6 is the word aletheia, which speaks to truth, this um, incredible, enduring, faithful truth. Guess what two words John uses to describe Jesus as in John chapter 1, verse 14, when he says that God came and made his dwelling among us. He said that he was full of grace, in truth. Like Jesus is known for his covenant loyalty. If you're not a follower of Jesus uh, in the room or you're listening and watching uh, online, you could take the lessons we've looked at today from David and Jonathan's life and you could improve your friendships. You, you could, um, you know, be uh, a better protector. You could be a loyal protector. You could be loyal with your words and that would transform your relationships to some degree. You could be loyal by leveraging your resources and that would help a friendship. But if you're going to do this the best, we, we have to do it with his help. We can't do it alone. It's only through his power and by his spirit that we can be faithful and loving in the most difficult of times. Our friendships, our relationships will be tested in ways that are incredibly hard. And if we're going to be loyal, it'll be by his power and by his grace. And, and as we said last week, is that what we see even in David and Jonathan, Jesus epitomizes, he shows it in fullness. You wanna talk about protecting? What does Jesus refer to himself as? The good shepherd, and what does the good shepherd do? He willingly lays down his life for his sheep. He will protect. What does Jesus do on so many occasions? He warns. He warns his disciples. He warns the crowds, like, like to be on their guard, to watch out. Like, like this is what you need to be looking for. That's the type of friend he is. You want to talk about faithful with your words? What does Jesus do for us? Hebrews tells us that he intercedes for us. He goes to the Father for us. He speaks in our behalf to God for us. What do we see from Jesus on the cross? Does he look out at this crowd that has chanted crucify him, those that have spat upon him, the soldiers who have bartered for their clothes? And he says, he say, hey God, will you get rid of these worthless fools? And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's loyal with his words. Talk about leveraging your resources. He, he gives his life for us. Like he is the perfect friend. 
And if we're going to be that type of friend for others, we have to have him. We cannot do it alone. And here's the beauty. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, he offers you that seat at his table. Here, here's a really cool story. As, as Jonathan asked David to make this commitment to, to show the same, has said, the same faithful love that, that God has shown. Most of what we see in David and Jonathan's relationship in 1 Samuel 18, 19, 20, and 23 is, it seems to be pretty one-sided. It's, it's a lot about what Jonathan has done for David. But if you fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 9, you'll find that David kept the covenant. David remained loyal. Uh, at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Jonathan and his father Saul are in battle. And Jonathan dies. Saul dies. And word gets back to Saul's family that Jonathan and Saul are gone. And in a moment of fear, uh, essentially the nanny caring for Jonathan's son, his youngest son, takes off running to find a place of hiding. And the Bible tells us that along the way, she drops him. His name's Mephibosheth. And it cripples his legs and feet. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David finds out that Jonathan's son Mephibosheth is still alive. And it's a beautiful story I'd encourage you to read. He invites Mephibosheth to the king's table. He, he gives Mephibosheth his father's inheritance. He, he takes a man named Zeba and he says, you need to manage this whole estate for Mephibosheth. He shows him incredible loyalty. He keeps the covenant. And that covenant results in what many people would have said was the king's enemy because he's a child of the household that was opposed to David because it's Saul's grandson. And yet David gives him a seat at the table. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. In our sin, we have been an enemy of God. And yet he offers us the inheritance. He offers us eternal life. He offers us a seat at his table because he is a loyal and faithful God. May we be like him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God, your word that the psalmist, possibly even David tells us, can help us avoid living in sin. God, may you use your word today to draw us deeper into your life. God, to call us for the first time to follow you. God, if there are those watching and listening, and I believe there are, those in this room who have yet to decide in faith to follow you, they've, they've yet to respond to your covenant offer uh, to be redeemed and made whole and find life in you. God, would you draw them to you? Would you give them the courage to ask the, the questions, to seek out the counsel, to um, seek out the friend who loves you, to ask them how to, to experience your life. God, would you be with those who are following you, and would you lead them to model your covenant love to their friends? God, that we wouldn't be lemons, but Lord, instead we would be that sweetness that comes and takes the bitter things of life and turns them into something more beautiful. Uh, help us be the loyal friends you've called us to be. It's in your name we pray.